Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Welcome to Living with COVID-19, brought to you by A.T. Stewart Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. Today we're going to be continuing a series called An Encouraging Word for Discouraging Times. This is a series that I preached several years ago out of 1 Peter. It was written for people who were going through difficult and hard times, much as what we're experiencing during this time of COVID-19. So I hope these messages will be an encouragement to you. Open your Bible. Let's listen to God's Word together. Today we're starting a new series called Encouraging Words for Discouraging Times. We are living in some discouraging times. This is not catching anybody by surprise, I'm certain. We're living in some economically discouraging times. Very few of us, if any, sitting here today can say we are better off financially today than we were last year this time. Your investments probably lost over 30% this past year. Your retirement account, if it was like mine, lost over 30% last year. You say, but preacher, I don't have a retirement account. Well, if you own a home, it's worth less today than it was a year ago. And so we're experiencing discouraging economic times. I read yesterday that the employment rate is the highest that it's been in 16 years. Unemployment, excuse me, unemployment rate. Highest it has been in 16 years. Maybe you are facing a possible layoff at work. I was riding down the road yesterday. I kept seeing car dealerships that had gone out of business. I don't remember seeing this many businesses go out of business since I've been uh, old enough to notice such things. Uh, Economically, it's discouraging times. Politically, it's discouraging if your man didn't get elected in the White House. Moral decline in our nation continues to increase. I read that the opening night of the premiere of American Idol, one of the contestants showed up in a bikini. That's what I heard. Didn't see it, but I heard it. You say, well, preacher, what's so bad about that? Well, you just proved my point. We're in moral decline. If that doesn't offend you, if that doesn't shake your sensibilities, you've proved my point. We're experiencing not only economically discouraging times, politically discouraging times, morally discouraging times, but Christians are continually being disenfranchised as well. In the workplace, for example, you could tell me better than I can tell you. But some of you have had to go to tolerance and sensitivity training, diversity training, where they're telling you you've got to accept as the norm at work things that are totally contrary to your Christian beliefs. And if you stand up and speak the truth, even in love, you'll be branded a homophobic. You'll be uh, branded somebody who is prejudiced, discriminating, involved in hate speech. 
And it's not going to get better. It is continuing to get worse. And so at the schools, uh, Christians are not able to, teachers who are Christians are not able to clearly proclaim their faith in the school system. Uh, I read somewhere the other day that uh, a teacher was forbidden from wearing a crucifix at school, whereas uh, another teacher wore a Muslim emblem and it was considered okay. Uh, And so you know as well as I do that we're experiencing times where Christians are being more and more disenfranchised from our society. Here's the mentality. You're free to worship, but just do it privately. Keep it in the church or in your home. Don't take it outside the home or the church into the workplace. Don't take it into the schools. You just keep your freedom of worship private, which is not true freedom of worship, is it? And so we're living in discouraging times. Well, Peter wrote words to Christians who are experiencing discouraging times. Today we're looking at chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. A timely word for today. It was around 64 A.D. Peter was one of the apostles, one of the twelve chosen by Jesus, you will remember. One sent out by God. He is in Rome, and he's burdened by the persecution of Christians by Nero. There have been earlier times of persecution. Under Claudius, there were some isolated persecution in some cities. The local churches had been persecuted by unbelievers, but things are different this time. There's a growing trend of the state persecuting Christians under Nero. The church is seeing some difficult times. And so God led Peter to write to Christians undergoing persecution to encourage them. He's leading him to write to encourage Christians who are undergoing persecution. And he wants to give them truth that will enable them to be encouraged in some very discouraging times. And he has a word for you and for me as well in our discouraging times. Because Peter didn't realize at the time that he wrote this, that the persecution on the Nero was only one of three persecutions that were going to be coming. That later Domitian in 81 to 96 A.D. persecuted the Christians, and then Trajan in 98 to 117 A.D. persecuted the Christians. Now, Peter didn't realize this. He was just writing to those Christians of his time. But the Holy Spirit knew that there would be times of persecution and discouragement for Christians, and so he led him to give us this timeless truth to give us encouraging words in our discouraging times. In fact, if you look at the history of the church, the natural climate of the church is to live under persecution. The natural climate of the church, if you look over the 2,000 years of the church, It's for the church to live, the true church, to live under adversity and difficulty and discouragement. And so God has given us particularly, now all throughout the scriptures, obviously there are God's truth to encourage us, but I believe particularly for Christians who are undergoing discouraging times, who are undergoing adversity and hardships, 1 Peter is God's word for us. 
And we will see as we do this study of First Peter, we will see many biblical truths that the Holy Spirit will give us, will give you, that can encourage you in your discouraging times. Now, the situation that Peter addresses has a rather distinctive element to it, and that's because the people that he was writing to were primarily Jewish Christians. Now, we understand this from the beginning of chapter 1, verse 1, and let me ask you to stand in respect for the Word of God, and I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 today. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing and most of all the obeying of His Word. Now look in verse 1, and I want you to center on that word scattered. Now that word is the word that tells me that the primary audience that Peter's writing to are Jewish Christians. This word scattered, the Greek word picture, is of somebody scattering seed on the ground. That's the way they would sow seeds. You remember some of the parables Jesus told. They would take it and they would spread it with their hand and throw it out. That's the word picture behind this word scattered. Now this word is used in the New Testament to speak of the Jewish people that have been scattered outside of Palestine. Example, over in John 7, verse 35, we read, The Jews then said to one another, why does this man in, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? That was Jesus who said they would not see him in a little while. So they were trying to figure out what Jesus meant. Is he not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? You see the word dispersion? That's the same word for scattered. It again was used to speak of the Jews who had been scattered among the Gentiles outside of Palestine. Again, James talks about this in his book in the first verse of chapter 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Same word, scattered abroad. Dispersion. Dysphoria. And so when Peter uses this phrase, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout, and he lists these various countries, I believe he's telling us that his primary audience is Jewish Christians. Now that's important because that adds a different slant on this discouragement that they are experiencing. Now he's writing to all Christians secondarily, but primarily to Jewish Christians. Now here's the special dimension that it adds to their discouragement when you realize they're Jewish Christians. Now picture yourself as a little Jewish boy or girl, growing up in a Jewish home. Now, what was the teaching of Judaism, the Old Testament, about God's 
work for you and on your behalf if you were a faithful Jew. If you obeyed the laws, observed the feast days, observed the various sacrifices, what could you expect from God? Blessing. The Jewish people were taught throughout the Old Testament if they would obey God, if they would do what God told them to do, then they would receive blessings and prosperity. Now I'll give you one example out of many, just to show you this, over in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Now listen to this. Now here you are, Jewish guy growing up, Jewish girl growing up, your parents teaching you about being a faithful Jew, and so you study this passage. Deuteronomy 7, beginning with verse 12. Then it shall come about, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep you his, we keep with you His covenant and His loving kindness, which He swore to your forefathers. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the increase of your herd and the young of your flock in the land which He swore to your forefathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all people. There will be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. The Lord will remove from you all the sicknesses, and He will not put on you any of the harmful diseases of Egypt, which you have known. But He will lay on, uh, lay them on all who hate you. You shall consume all the peoples whom the Lord your God will deliver to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, nor shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. All right, you've grown up on these verses, right? You expect God's blessing. You expect prosperity. You expect good things to happen when you obey God. That's what God has said to you. Now, you're a Christian. You're obeying God. You're doing what God said. But instead of experiencing blessings, you're experiencing hardships and adversities. And persecution. Now imagine how confusing that's got to be to you. Wait a minute, God. This isn't what I, I've been taught you would do. Where are the blessings? Where are the prosperity? Where are the good times? You said we would have them. But man, I've lost my job because of my faith. We're experiencing financial difficulties and hardships. We're being persecuted. Something's wrong. God's not keeping His Word. Well, we find the same expectation among some Christians today. The prosperity guys. Just claim it, believe it, God will give it. God wants every Christian to be prosperous. Materially. You just got to believe God and you can have it. That teaching is not quite as widespread, I don't think, as it used to be, but it's still out there. Never did go too well in third world countries, though. Because what it says is if you're faithful and if you're obedient and you believe God, you're going to get financial prosperity. Well, I guess all those third world countries, they don't believe God over there and they don't trust God. But you don't even have to be a Jewish Christian of the first century or 
one who is bought into the prosperity boys, let's face it, guys, we have this innate expectation that, God, if I do right, good things are going to happen to me. We think somehow we've written this, I guess it's just a part of human nature. I think it is. Because even if you go to the most primitive peoples, they have animistic religion where they believe that there are gods in everything and they're constantly trying to appease these gods so nothing bad will happen to them. Offering sacrifices and doing whatever. So we tend to think if we do right, things will be right. That somehow God is going to insulate us from any problems, any difficulties, any hardships. If I just do what I'm supposed to do, if I just come to church, if I just give my offerings, if I read my Bible and if I pray, nothing bad is going to happen to me. I'm not going to lose my job. I'm not going to get cancer. I'm not going to, to lose any of my loved ones. I'm not going to get involved in an automobile accident and be paralyzed. No. If I do all these good things, God's going to keep all that from happening. And so when things do happen, we get confused. We get angry. We get upset. We start wondering, what's going on, God? You're not keeping your word. You're not keeping your promise. And so Peter deals with suffering and sainthood. Because we all ask the question, why? And basically what Peter has given us is he's given us a survival kit for suffering saints. Now this is the first truth. We're going to have two truths today. Two encouraging words to help us in our discouraging times. This is the first one. Peter says, we are aliens here on earth. Therefore, we should expect suffering. He says in verse 1, to those who reside as aliens. Now, the English Standard Version translates it exiles. The Holman Christian Standard Bible translates it temporary residents. New King James translates it strangers. Oh, excuse me. King James translates it strangers. New King James translates it pilgrims. So here you have aliens, exiles, temporary residents, strangers, pilgrims. You're getting the idea behind this word? One of the dictionaries of New Testament words says, this word means sojourning in a strange place away from one's own people. The writer of Hebrews picks up on this truth in chapter 11 where he's talking about Abraham and Sarah. And God had come to Abraham and promised him he would be a mighty nation, promised him that he would have a mighty land. Well, Abraham died before any of that came about. And so the writer of Hebrews referring to that says in verse 13, all these died in faith, Abraham and Sarah, without receiving the promises that he'd be a mighty nation, that he'd have a mighty land. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. You and I need to understand that we are strangers, we are aliens, we are exiles here on earth. We do not belong. 
Peter is saying you're not a part of the world system. You do not fit any longer in this world system. So expect to be at odds with the world system. Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul told the church at Philippi. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, you're on visa down here. Your citizenship is in heaven. When you became a Christian, your citizenship on earth was done away with. We shouldn't expect to feel at home here. We have different values than the world system. We have different opinions, different views. We act differently, I trust. And what these Jewish Christians needed to understand was that the old covenant, excuse me, the old covenant promises no longer applied to the new covenant. The old covenant promises did not apply. They were trying to take old covenant promises that had to do with Israel securely dwelling in the land of Israel, the promised land, and apply those to the new covenant. And you can't do it. The new covenant does not promise prosperity. The new covenant promises suffering. The new covenant promises difficulties. It promises discouraging times. Now, how many times do we in our evangelism say to folks, look, come to Jesus, and I guarantee you, you will experience adversity like you've never seen it before. I can promise you if you come to Jesus, He promises you will experience tribulation and trials, difficulties. You think you've had it hard. You wait. But that's what the Scripture teaches. Jesus said, expect suffering. John 15. Jesus said, the world hates you. You know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world... But I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. Remember, the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. And then again in John 17, as Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they were not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now look at this. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. Now, why does Jesus pray for us? I don't ask you, Father, to take them out of the world. He knows we're going to suffer in this world. He knows the world hates us. So why didn't He just say, God, take them out? Well, in Matthew 5, we have an indication because Jesus says there, blessed, blessed now, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you 
and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Blessed. Does it sound like Jesus is saying, hey, guys, come to me and you won't have any more problems. I'll take care of everything. I'll put a wall around you and nothing bad is going to get into your life. Jesus said, expect suffering. Paul not only experienced suffering himself, but he also told us to expect suffering. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul gives us a rundown of the things that he had experienced in his ministry. I speak as if insane, I more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst often without food, in cold, and exposure. Now, what if you'd gone up to Paul, and you were witnessing to him before he became a Christian, you said, Paul, come to Jesus, and everything will be all right. <laughs> come to Jesus, and he will take care of you, and there will be no problems. Now, and then Paul was going through this, he would have been confused. But Paul not only experienced it himself, but look at what he said over in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all, not some, not many, but all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's no wiggle room, folks, in that verse. We read in the Scriptures, Paul told another group of believers, through many tribulations, we will enter the kingdom of God. The new covenant promise is that you're an alien in this world. Therefore, you should expect difficulties. You should expect suffering. But here's the second truth. The new covenant Promises suffering, but it promises suffering that will conform you to the image of Christ. That's the encouragement, folks. You're not suffering for nothing. You're not suffering as a random occurrence of world events. You are suffering and you're experiencing hardships because this is the method God has chosen to make you like Jesus. Now, I want you to jump back to James a couple of slides before. I want you to see what James says about this. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, hardships, difficulties, discouragement, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. 
And now the Romans 8, 28 passage. For we know that God causes all things to work together for good. That's the adversity. That's the hardships. That's the difficulties. To work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He called, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. So that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. That adversity, that difficulty, those hard times are God's shaping tool in your life. He's using it to make you more like Christ. It is in the struggles that we grow strong spiritually. Someone spoke about a man who was observing a butterfly coming out of the cocoon. And he saw the butterfly was struggling, so he took a knife and he cut the cocoon so the butterfly could just come right out. Well, the butterfly couldn't fly. Because it is in that struggling to get out of the cocoon, it does something to strengthen the wings of that butterfly so it can fly. The struggles, the adversity, the difficulties in life are God's plan to make you strong in Christ. It is in our weakness that His power is perfected. Look at what it says about our own Lord Jesus in Hebrews chapter 5. Although He was a son, He learned obedience from the things He suffered. Now, I don't know how the perfect Lord Jesus Christ could learn obedience when He was perfectly obedient. I don't understand that, but it says it. And it says He learned it through suffering. Now, if your Lord Jesus learned through suffering... And that was God's ordained way for him to learn. Can you expect any less from a loving God in your life? Discouragement. You know, I, I was tempted to get discouraged. <laughs> Pretty much so. You know, I, I need to change, but I have a, I've set up with my retirement account, so they send me an email each week giving me the balance. I've quit looking at it. <laughs> you know, I thought I was going to be able to retire one day, but I don't know now. I'll get retreaded, but you know what? That It just made me trust God. I just had to say, God, you know, I've been putting too much trust in that retirement account, haven't I? And you're just stripping it down, so I'll realize... I need to trust you. I need to trust you. That's the bottom line. You, not an account. You, you're the one who's promised to provide for me. You're the one who's promised to meet my needs. And so, God used that to draw me closer to Him, to make me more like Christ. So look at the things that are happening in your life, the things that would be discouraging, and receive this encouraging word from God. First, hey, you don't, you don't belong down here. You don't fit, so don't expect to fit in. You're a round hole in a square peg. Expect it. But realize that God has intended these adversities and disappointments and discouragements 
to make you more like Christ, to knock off your self-life, to mold you into the image of Jesus. And that's encouraging. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You that we have the assurance of Your Word. We have the truth of Your Spirit. That even in difficulties and adversities and hardships and disappointments, that we can be encouraged. That You are working in and through these things to make us like Jesus. That You would be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Stand as we sing together. I want to.